Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. I'm Richard Roper. Time to talk Oscars. We finally got the nominations after the extended window. It was like one of those flip your house shows where they kept extending the window from January 1st of last year all the way up. The nominations are out, and I have much to say about this, Rokan. I also would like to give the Oscar people some suggestions based on Sunday night's Grammys. Oh, I'm sure they're going to open the, to that. Yeah, I'm sure they will. <laughs> but in terms of how the show should look and okay. feel, because I think that actually the Grammy people did something that the Oscar people should consider. We'll talk about that in just a second. But reminding you that Screen Time is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design and development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing of all types. You can't imagine how many types they found to drive your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. Nominations are out. We're going to talk about those in just a moment. But okay. let's talk about the Oscar telecast. When is that going to be? That'll be April 25th, uh, the Oscar telecast uh, from the Dolby Theater in Hollywood, which has been the site of the Oscar telecast for most of the last 20 years. It was known as the Kodak Theater. Now it's called the Dolby Theater. But also, they're going to have part of the ceremony row from uh, the Union Station train station in oh. downtown Los Angeles, which is kind of, I think... A very cool choice. This is this amazing Art Deco structure that's been around for, I don't know, probably uh, close to 100 years now. You have seen this train station and this amazing interior used in literally hundreds of movies. Not always as a train station. It'll be a, used as a courthouse. It's been used as a futuristic mansion. Everything from Blade Runner to The Dark Knight Rises to Live and Die in L.A. Parts of it were filmed there. Bugsy. So kind of cool, yeah. I love how they used it in Bugsy. So very, very cool choices. Right now, there are no hosts announced. It would be the third straight year with no hosts. They do say the nominees, if they're available and willing to come, will be welcomed either hmm. to the Dolby Theater or to the train station. I don't know if they're going to shut down the train station. I say keep it running so that you also get announcements about incoming and outgoing trains <laughs> in between. You know, And the nominees are Sir Anthony Hopkins from the father. Manga. Yeah, Exactly. But I want to hear what you have to say about you know, the Grammys were, of course, Sunday night on CBS, right? right? And you have some suggestions for the Oscars based on the Grammys. Yes. So the Staples Center is where they were doing the Grammys this year. They decided not to do it inside the Staples Center, a little cocktail party kind of deal. A tailgate. Yeah, yeah. Where they put Beyonce and Jay-Z. And it took me about two and a half hours to realize that was Beyonce and Jay-Z because ah, they were wearing their masks right. at little cocktail tables. You can always tell Billie Eilish and her brother because, you know, they wear Phineas. matching yeah. like floppy hats. Yeah. <laughs> but what they did here was genius. They used some of the interior spaces, Staples Center, to build sets mm -hmm. that allowed the performers to do their musical numbers. And that's where the Grammys actually became brilliant yes. more than a decade ago. It used to be that the Music Academy were so crazy about making sure that they got every category in. Yeah. The Grammy television show was six and a half hours long. Mm. It was filled with all kinds of categories that only 15 people were really interested in. They boiled it down. It was really just about performances of the most important things that the Grammys do. It was best record, best artist, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, they did a great job of, as you mentioned about a decade ago, turning it into a celebration, these great performance numbers. 
We saw things at the Grammys Sunday night. That performance by Megan Thee Stallion and uh, Cardi B of the song that has a W and an A. And we could say it because this is a podcast. It's hashtag. What is it? It's it's it's, it's <laughs> WAP as they call it. W A P, which is wet ass pussy. Oh, now see, now now okay. wait. Hold on. Wait. Uh, wait. Now listen to me for a second. All right. In broadcasting, and you and I have been broadcasters for you know a combined lot a lot of time. We mm-hmm. shouldn't even say how long. <laughs> You can't say this. And I thought when they were talking about, oh, you're going to see the first time ever this song performed on network television. Well, there's no way that any kind of broadcast would be able to say the words that they said. Incredible. And I kept thinking about how less than two decades ago, the entire country was in an uproar over the Justin Timberlake Janet Jackson Super Bowl Nipplegate incident, (laughs) congressional hearings and fines and the FCC, and that now looks like the new Mickey Mouse Club compared to what we saw that performance number. And um, I I got pregnant during that show. (laughs) And that and that big heel, that big high heeled shoe, uh, just sold for one point six million dollars because you know that's how LA real estate goes. If you want to move into that shoe, (laughs) there's a buyer already on the market for that. Uh, But 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 let me ask you this though, Ro, I get what you're saying, but. How do you do something like that with the Academy Awards? You can't convene the cast of The Trial of Chicago 7 and build a courthouse in the Union Station in downtown L.A. and have them reenact the scenes from the movie. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you can use your available space Mm -hmm. to create set pieces around the presentation. Because the other option that you have is to go back to the early days of the Oscars, where you just have a luncheon and there's a bunch. All the Oscars are on a banquet they were table, a long table, yeah. Right, and then you know they just announce and they come up and they go thank you, and, and it's over in 35 minutes. You I can think- look that up on YouTube. The, the old Oscar ceremonies. There was a famous one where they ended about 35 minutes early, and they kept bringing people up on stage and they were dancing and singing, just trying to kill time. But you mentioned the table. I love the long table. Uh, that they had at the Oscars for like 30 or 40 years with the trophies because it looked exactly like every Little League banquet you've ever been to. Like you get your name announced and then you go, you know, oh, Grace <laughs> Kelly, that's that's your trophy. No, wait a minute, that's Gary Cooper's. What are you doing over there? <laughs> but here's the thing with the Academy Awards telecast. There are 24 categories and there are seven or eight that everybody cares about, the big, you know, the big categories, and we're going to be talking about them as well. But they've always insisted on including, you know, animated short and makeup and documentary short subject, et cetera, et cetera. All worthy categories, but in the Grammys and almost any other award ceremony, they do that separately. So the Academy Awards is always going to be about three hours long. There's always that moment where someone wins for costume or production design, and it takes them forever to get to the stage, and then they give some speech yes, about is there one something moment. that matters to them, Yes, about somebody needs you know clean drinking water. It's always a great cause, but we're like, Here's somebody I've never heard of winning an award for something I've never seen talking about something I don't know about. And they just can't make that into exciting television, I don't think. I like when the costume people, this is their 400th nomination, 600th win. That's Edith Head, usually, you know, over the years. So my idea is actually to simplify that entire process, yeah. which is make it a television show. A lot of what the Grammys did was pre-recorded setup pieces. The Oscars are about film. Make movies. 
make films mm. about things that are about to happen in front of you. We don't really give a shit what's happening in the room anymore because Jack Nicholson is not sitting in the front row right. and neither is Taylor Swift. <laughs> that stuff doesn't really matter. You want to see what they look like on the red carpet on the way in, but you only really see the front row of people reacting and then the reaction right. shots of the winners and the losers and all of that sort of stuff. You can still do that. The Grammys were able to incorporate that, but make it about the movies. Make movies about the movies you know, over the years, they have taken some of these awards out. Yeah, and they tried different things, like they would just have the winners stand up in the audience and not give a speech. They've done the behind-the-scenes webcam type of thing. There have been some noble efforts, but they still can't get away from the overall clunkiness of it all. Now, I can tell you this, Ro. I was at, I think I attended nine or ten Academy Awards uh, over the years. You and, used to do, I remember this, for ABC, mm-hmm. you did a pre-award show, you and Roger Ebert. Right. But then there was a time that you were working just for KABC local television in LA. Yeah, they were actually, they were a tremendous bunch to work with, but basically news anchors and sports anchors, everybody on the local telecast, they'd make it part of the Oscar telecast because it was a great advertisement for the station. KABC would get these tremendous ratings. Then we would do a post show and that would go to like, a bunch of different, like hundreds of countries, and we'd have to keep doing the same thing over and over for different time zones. It was like this 14 hour day. But I will say this backstage at the Oscars, you know, there's, there's green rooms, there's, you know, the, the holding area for the press was always more fascinating to me as a journalist than sitting, which I didn't do, sitting in the crowd just watching the boring telecast because that's where you'd get the actors who had lost coming back, smoking <laughs> a cigarette, you know, having a drink. I just want to say know. one thing. And you, well, yeah. You people should all go but fuck you know, yourselves. <laughs> but you'd also see really cool moments where you'd see people who had been in the business for 20 years but had never really met each other because they'd never worked together. You know, everybody assumes everybody knows everyone in Hollywood. And I always tell the famous story, you know, on Golden Pond, Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda, you know, worked together for the first time, but also met for the first time because they had just traveled in very different circles for dozens of years in you their know, careers. It's funny because Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda met for the first time on that <laughs> film too. Soon, too soon. Oh, all right, okay. So maybe the Academy will take the hint here and do some more filmic things because they have incredible directors and they've got that in, entire now the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has a museum. It's got this school where they're bringing people yes. through. You have an opportunity to have these young filmmakers do something that's really great as long as the studios give them the ability yeah. to make stuff out of what they already have. It's interesting you mention all that, Ro, because the Academy has done an admirable job in the last five to seven years of getting more in touch with the times. They like to be distant and reserved for decades and kind of almost mysterious. And I have to say, kudos as well. It was only five or six years ago where we had the Oscars So White protest movement. We had two straight years where all 20 acting nominees were white. A total of 40 nominees were white. This year, nine of the 20 nominated actors are people of color. For the first time in the 93-year history of the Academy Awards, we have two women nominated for Best Director. For only the second time in the history of the Oscars, we have three black men in the Supporting Actor category. For the first time ever, we have an Asian-American man, Stephen Young, for Minari, nominated for Best Actor. Now, there are still some, I think they missed the boat on certain films, including Defy Bloods and Delroy Lindo. But you have to give the Academy credit, Row. They expanded the membership to nearly 10,000 
included a lot more women, a lot more people under 50, a lot more people of color. And you're seeing that reflected in the nominations, which I think reflect the international body of work that has been done for cinema, even in these crazy times. And even though most of these movies premiered online, we're seeing a whole new movie world. We'll get to the nominations, but Floyd's, your haircut, your way. Floyd's 99 Barbershop has expert barbers and stylists who take pride in crafting the perfect cut every time. Walk in, book online, or give your shop a call. Learn about their safety practices at floydsbarbershop.com. Safety never looked so good. I have all the nominees on an iPad in front of me. It could take us 16 hours <laughs> to go through all of them, but let's go through the major categories. Okay. All people really care about are the actors and actresses, right? I think they care about best picture and director and maybe even, you know, song or animated film. But, you know, the glamour categories and the reason they hold those until the end are the acting. Although they always start off with one big announcement, best supporting actress usually. Right. And then, you know, the four losers have to sit there for three and a half hours <laughs> saying, hmm, Mira Sorvino. Or do they? Or they can leave, right? Because famously, the Oscars have these seat fillers yeah, who a- show up and just sit there if you leave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Will and Jada uh, famously left. They claimed one of their kids had an earache or something after he didn't win for Ali. But uh, I, I think it was a I, bit of a ripoff. Yeah. I, I thought he was amazing. He was amazing. That. No, I, th- I think in most cases, the nominees actually do hang around. They still want to go to the after parties. They want to show they're a good sport. It's still very cool. The one thing is, whether you win or lose, if your category is announced early, at least you don't have to sit there for three and a half hours holding your breath. As you True. do, if you're up for best actor, best actress, best picture, best director, all of that comes in the last seven minutes of the telecast. So you have to sit there for three and a half hours going, I haven't eaten in a week. I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to win. Did I keep my speech in my pocket? All that stuff. I shouldn't have gone to the bar. Oh, geez. You mentioned animated feature. I actually love the animated feature category because there are very few bad films that are made by the major studios that are animated. That's a great point, whether it's DreamWorks or Disney or, of course, Pixar. Three or four years in the making for most of these animated films, so it goes through this long process. They have the longest credits of any film, including the Avengers films, anything Scorsese's ever done. You watch the credits for animated films, and it goes on forever. It really does take a village, and they're almost always beautifully crafted, even if the stories aren't great. I will say, we don't have to get into all the nominations right now, but Soul, the Pixar film Soul, to me, is in the top ten of the Pixar films of all time. It's really beautifully done. Oh, it it absolutely should win. And if you haven't seen it, go see it. It doesn't matter how old you are. As a matter of fact, I kind of think the older you get, the more you will enjoy this film. Well, I mean, when you think about that, so many of the Pixar films, I think, resonate more. You can love them when you're nine, but you can embrace them when you're 40. Best Actress in a Supporting Role. This is interesting because there's a little bit of politics in this. You got Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Amanda Seyfried, and Yu Jung-Yoon for Minari. Maria Bakalova. This is interesting because this has been a push by Sasha Baron Cohen specifically to get her nominated. I want to give a lot of credit here, Ro, to Sasha Baron Cohen. First of all, he's this great creative mind, but he's a very generous selfless individual and he really was out there for months not talking about his performance although he got nominated for trial of chicago seven and deservedly so but talking about maria bakalova and how she carried the film the borat film 
And it's an interesting nomination. I think it's pretty cool. She's right now filming a movie with uh, Pedro Pascal, who's the Mandalorian. So she has a career as an actress. She had one before this. But it is a brilliant performance. Very different, though, than a traditional movie performance. And, you, you know, you talk about that list of nominees. Glenn Close has more nominations without a win than any other living actor. But Hillbilly Elegy, there was kind of a backlash that it felt like it was condescending a little bit. People got into the political aspects of the movie. I don't think she's going to win. I loved Amanda Seyfried in Mank. I think, I think that was maybe the best thing about that movie. The supporting actress category is always the one row where there are upsets through the years, whether it was Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny, Lauren Bacall thought she was going to win. The whole world thought she was going to win. She didn't win. So Best Supporting Actress is always a toss-up. I don't have a clear-cut prediction. I will eventually, but not yet. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder, as the people are filling out their ballots, if Maria Bakalova, because they're thinking, oh, I'm going to go serious in some of these other categories. Why don't we give it to her? I know that when we fill out our ballots, at least when I fill out my ballot Uh for the Screen Actors Guild, I kind of think, yeah, I I play around with it a little bit. Well, she did something very different. I mean, the film itself got nominated for a screenplay award, which is pretty incredible, which tells you that there's a lot of structure even within the chaos of a Sasha Baron Cohen film. So, you know, some might argue that even though the other four performances are amazing, they're traditional scripted dramas and she's doing something different here because she has to stay in character. And listen, if you're Olivia Coleman, who was nominated for The Father, she plays Anthony Hopkins' daughter in The Father, right? Mm-hmm. She's playing opposite Sir Anthony Hopkins. Maria Bakalova is playing opposite Sir Rudy Giuliani. So <laughs> some could say that's a much bigger acting challenge. <laughs> that's really true. Uh, best actress, you got Viola Davis, Andre Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. Traditionally, I think over the last 10 or 15 years, the best actress category has been the most loaded, where the five nominees are so incredible, you could make a case for any of them. We have to credit and say kudos to Viola Davis. That's her fourth nomination, the most in history for a black actress. And she is incredible. Frances McDormand has won twice. I think her performance in Nomadland is her best performance ever. That was also my pick for the best movie of the year. But again, Ro, you loved Andre Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday. You were one of the early proponents of that performance and actually predicted that she might win the Golden Globe, even though she was a huge long shot, and she did win the Golden Globe. I think she wins the Oscar in this, too, but we'll get to that. We're going to do our predictions later. Yeah, yeah. We're, In fact, we're going to tell folks about how they can join us in making their predictions, but got to do a little early. And win something game. cool. Yes. While they do it. Yeah. So that's so we got that going for us. And it's not a chance to have drinks with Maria Bakalova and Rudy Giuliani. It's even cooler <laughs> than that. <laughs> Although I think we're more fun to Risky. have drinks with a separate issue. All right. Best actor in a leading role, Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, Stephen Young. Amazing group there. Anthony Hopkins, we've talked about the father. I think, you know, even though he's had five decades of acting, he's never been better than he was in The Father. Minari is a film, bro, that I hope, and people who have seen it have loved it, and it's based on the true story of the director, the writer-director of the film, about a Korean-American family, uh, and they moved to Arkansas in the early 1980s and try to make a go of it as a farming family, and it's it's an incredible film. People know Stephen Young mostly from his work on The Walking Dead, as Glenn on The Walking Dead, but he could do it all. He was actually at Second City in Chicago 
doing more comedic work just before he got tapped to be in The Walking Dead. So I hope the nomination for him and for other parts of that film, that's the kind of case where the Oscar nominations help a mainstream audience check out a film they might not otherwise have checked out. Oscars 20 years ago, without question, would have given it to Anthony Hopkins because mm. he's a sir, because he... They love the Brits. They always have loved the Brits in the Academy. He might be dying soon. We just don't he's know for fine. sure. But I think Chadwick Boseman, because obviously we've lost him tragically mm. too early, yeah. and it is such a great performance, but it's kind of a supporting role performance. You could make that argument. Uh, I mean, it's definitely Viola Davis's film. He does have a lot of screen time. It's really an ensemble work. And again, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom did very well as a Netflix release, as something that people downloaded, watched. You know, they have different uh, algorithms for keeping track of all that. For the first time ever, virtually every single film performance technical achievement that's nominated for an Oscar is available for home viewing now. A lot of times they were still be right. playing in theaters or they weren't available, and we don't have the Oscars till April 25th, so people have a lot of time to catch up on these nominees. One of the biggest competitions of the night is going to be in supporting actor. Mm -hmm. So you got Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr., Paul Racy, and Lakeith Stanfield. And Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are in the same movie, even though they're both kind of the lead. Well, Keith Stanfield was the lead in Judas and the Black Messiah. The way it works, Rose, the Academy members, when they vote for the acting categories, can decide which category. There's no official way of doing it. It goes back famously. We've been talking about Sir Anthony Hopkins. That's why he was nominated and won for lead actor for The Silence of the Lambs, even though he was in the movie for like 20% of the film at best. It was considered a lead performance. So that was the surprise here that Lakeith Stanfield was nominated in the supporting category because he's clearly the lead. My so why did they do that? It's just because more voters decided to put him in the supporting slot. You get a giant ballot with all the performances and you can check whether you want them to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor or Best Lead Actor. The studio doesn't decide. The Academy doesn't decide. The voters decided. So he might have gotten let's say out of 10,000 votes, he might have gotten 1,000 votes for lead actor, but 2,800 votes for supporting actor, which put him in the top five. Their system is it's a little convoluted. It even goes changed deeper than that, and there's revoting and all this type of thing. So if Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are supporting actors in Judas and the Black Messiah, even though one of them is playing essentially Judas and the other is the putative Black Messiah, who are they supporting? Marty Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover, who has like seven <laughs> minutes on screen? It makes no sense. I do fear also, Ro, that they'll cancel each other out just because they're both in the same movie. I want to say a little something, too, about uh, Paul Racy. That's a really cool nomination. He's 72 years old. He grew up in Chicago. He served two tours of duty in Vietnam. He's been a working actor for most of his life, but he's not a name that people know. He's been, not been in a ton of stuff that people know. And in Sound of Metal, it's an amazing movie. Riz Ahmed, who got nominated for Best Actor, is a heavy metal drummer who's losing his hearing. And Paul Raisi is a, a guy who runs a center for uh, people who are dealing with addictions who are deaf. And he was oh. cast in the role. He's not, Paul Raisi himself is not hearing impaired, but he grew up with two deaf parents and is very conversant in sign language, so they thought he'd be very you know, well cast for the role. But how cool is it to see a 72-year-old journeyman working actor get an Oscar nomination? Very cool. Best Director and Best Picture used to always go together. Now they never go together. So the films they're directing are Another Round, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, and Promising Young Woman. 
you're so right about that. They call this the Argo effect when Argo was nominated for all these awards and even won for Best Picture, but Ben Affleck wasn't nominated for his directing. For some reason, the Academy was like, well, I guess that film directed itself. <laughs> and you see that again here where, and the other thing is, Ro, of course, you can have seven or eight or nine uh, films nominated for Best Picture, but only five Best Directors. Um, I thought Regina King was going to get a nomination for directing One Night in Miami. The surprise there is Thomas Vinterberg for a film called Another Round, which is an amazing film. If people get a chance to see it, uh, Mads Nicholson, who's best known as one of the villains in one of the James Bond movies, I think Casino Royale, right? Mm -hmm. Remember he was Le Chef. He's the guy that yes. had like he, he would like have Cry tears blood, of blood yeah. or something yeah. like that. He's a, he's a great actor. He's the lead in this film. It's it's you got to check out this film if you didn't if you haven't had a chance. It's about a bunch of middle aged men who decide that the best way to handle drinking is to go the Hemingway route, which is you drink all day but never drink at night, never have another round. And you can just imagine how that goes. It's this amazing, dark comedy, but also a brilliant drama. But Thomas Vinterberg, nominated for Best Director, over Aaron Sorkin, whose Trial of the Chicago 7 had so many other nominations, including screenplay and some of the acting we've talked about, is a shocker. But that also tells you that there are more and more international voters in the directing category. The way it also works with the Academy Awards, when it comes to nominations... Editors vote for editors. Makeup artists vote for makeup artists, et cetera, et cetera. And then when the nominations are announced, everybody can vote. So the nominations come from within your peers. So clearly there are enough directors who love what Thomas Vintenberg did with another round to give him maybe the most surprising nomination of the whole list. And the big Megillah best picture, <laughs> The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, you just talked about, and Trial of the Chicago 7. When we look at the Best Picture nominees, I love that they expanded it a, you know, a few years back, that you could have more than five, just as they did many, many years ago, because it's a chance for more films to be celebrated. And yes, it's a marketing tool, because now you have eight films that say, nominated for Best Picture. Right. We'll talk a lot about the handicapping and our predictions next week, Ro, but I will say, as usual, there's not a clunker in the bunch there. There rarely is. Eh, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, th a couple of times it happens where I'm like, really? That got nominated? But that's a very solid list. I am a little surprised by Mank. I'll be honest with you. Mm. I wanted to love that movie so bad. I literally watch Turner Classic Movies <laughs> now 23 out of the 24 hours of the day. I couldn't find the reason they made that movie after I saw it. Well, David Fincher did it as a labor of love because his late father had written this screenplay like 20 years ago, and he wanted to make this happen, and he certainly has the clout to make it happen. I couldn't agree with you more, though. This is the kind of film that Hollywood embraces because it's about Hollywood, specifically about old Hollywood, right. and it's even in fancy black and white, so it seems like a prestige project. I think it was very well made. I did not connect with it either, not nearly as much as I connected with The Trial of the Chicago 7, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, The Five Bloods, which didn't get nominated films that I not only loved Row, but wanted to share with the world. And when I wrote my reviews, I'm like, you got to check out this movie, Nomadland, same thing. I don't put Mank anywhere near that category. I think this is the classic example of a film that has the most nominations. It has 10 and might win in nothing or maybe one or two small awards. It's that kind of film where it's like, yes, we give you all these nominations, but you're not really the film we love the most. I feel the same way about The Trial of the Chicago 7 that it's got a lot of nominations. Mm. I'm not sure it's actually going to win any of them. It's a yeah. great screenplay. I mean, you can't take anything away from Aaron Sorkin as a writer. Right. You have to be a fan of his style, but he's really the only chance they have. 
you know, I I disagree with you on one level because I think it's the type of entertainment that might come through for Best Picture because it has all the elements, biopic, historical, accessible. But I think you're right overall. And Aaron Sorkin has already won for Best Screenplay. He won for The Social Network. He's been nominated several times. I think you're right about a lot of the categories. Sasha Baron Cohen being nominated for his performance there. That is the classic example where the nomination itself is a little bit of a surprise and pretty cool. And he has that now on his resume. I can see it getting shut out. I'm not saying you're wrong there. So you've listened to us prattle on about it. We're going to give you an opportunity to join us in the voting challenge. we got a big contest coming up, a chance for you to win some major Hollywood-themed prizes. And it's going to be a classic format where we'll have the entire Oscar ballot at your disposal. I'll make my picks. Ro will make his selections. And you guys can do yours as well. We'll have all the details about that contest. You know, you'll still have like five weeks to put your entries together and see the check movies. out some of the films as yeah. well. So that'll be a lot of fun. You know, over the years when people tell me they beat the critic, I'm like, of course you did. It's not that hard. But who will have the most correct entries? That's the real goal. Well, beating you, they get something big. Beating me, they yeah. get to get through third grade. I got 23 out of 24 a couple of times. I've never had a perfect ballot, so I'm still striving for that. Oh, humble brag. You got screwed on best animated short one year. I'm still angry about that. All right, who to follow? It's Tuesday. Who should we follow? This week on Twitter, it's Dion Warwick, the legendary <laughs> singer who had a million hits and is unbelievably funny and sharp and interesting on Twitter. Just go to at Dion Warwick and follow her. And even after there have been articles about how great she is on Twitter, she's even been funny about that on Twitter saying the Internet's not that hard. Do you guys need lessons I can help you with that. So at Dion Warwick, we salute you. You are someone to follow. The Rowan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. Studios AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing you best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for all the information. Executives in charge of production for Screen Time with Rowan Roper, Tim Melanius and Renee Nelson. Music and Production Director, Brian Altimer. And as always, we want to thank everybody who has been downloading the podcast, telling their friends about it, and most important of all, thank you to our subscribers. And we love the feedback. Ro, we got a tremendous amount of great feedback about our podcast last week, our personal stories about our experiences with Oprah Winfrey. You can check that out as well. But whether it's positive, negative, or really positive, my favorite, uh, <laughs> please hit us up. There are a million ways to get in touch with us. And thank you again to all our subscribers. It's easy to troll. It's hard to love. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>